It is such an honor to be here with you all, and thank you, Pastor Jackson, for the introduction and for trusting me uh, with the pulpit. And uh, um, I want to thank Cindy as well. Uh, we have partnered in, in Houston several for over several years. Uh, one of the things we do with our organization is we bring young people in to uh, we challenge them to give a year of their life. Uh, to live in solidarity with uh, communities and to be part of the struggle that they're going through, to share the love of Jesus uh, in tangible ways. And so Cindy, uh, we've rented uh, our housing from Cindy and part of what they do is they learn to be good neighbors in, in their community. And so uh, it's, been, it's an honor now to be able to address you all here. Uh, so thank you. Uh, my uh, colleague, Rob Medosa, is with me as well, and we have been consulting with some churches in Houston over the last couple days, and they're inclusive churches that have found themselves in neighborhoods that have changed, and so their neighbors are now refugees and immigrants, and they're struggling, wrestling with, how do we love our refugee and immigrant neighbors? And uh, so it's been really, uh, it's been really amazing just being able to to talk with uh, these churches over the last couple days uh, as they're wrestling with that. Such an important thing, right? Important question. Uh, well, I want to start by sharing, uh, I was in South Africa with, uh, with some friends. We were on a, a global pilgrimage and we were um, connecting with local leaders, South African leaders, and we wanted to see what were some of the common struggles that we were, that we were facing uh, around racial justice and uh, we were hoping to see um, maybe if we had some commonality, common struggles, that we could encourage one another. And uh, it was amazing. And we, we, we found that there's actually so much that we had in common. And a lot of our communities were facing some of the similar things around um, uh, gang violence and drugs and, and poverty and uh, racial injustice. And there, was, there were a lot of connections. And we were, we were really uh, overwhelmed and, and discouraged. We were coming on this trip uh, very tired in our work. Anybody tired? <laughs> Anybody feel like just you're in the struggle day in, day out, and the obstacles are so, uh, sometimes just seem so astronomical. And so that's where we were, and a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the folks that were with, with us were also like that. But we went to Robin Island. And we visited where Nelson Mandela had spent 18 years in prison on this island. And we visited a quarry where prisoners were in hard labor day in, day out, um, and mining the, the limestone in, the, in just blistering heat. And uh, we visited the cell of, of Nelson Mandela, which you know you could just stretch out your hands and and almost touch both both ends of it. And just thinking, how did Mandela come out of this situation with no chip of bitterness on his shoulder, but was able to extend love and forgiveness and lead the nation into this place of healing and reconciliation? And just as we heard more and more about his, his story, we found an inspiration. There was something that Mandela had that was able to, he was able to, to change his surroundings. He was able to inspire people. And uh, it made us start asking questions. So, so what is that? What's that thing that he had? What is, how, does, how do some people have courage like that? 
Where does courage come from? What makes a little shepherd boy all of a sudden step forth when nobody else will and say, I'm going to take on this job? Right? King Saul was the anointed one. He, he didn't step forward. <laughs> what causes a, a queen who's been elevated, she's given a position and, and privilege to risk all of that to be an advocate for her people? What causes someone who is devout in their faith, but then a as the law says you can't pray, decides to bend his knee anyway. What causes a, a, a disciple to step out of the boat and walk on water when the rest of the disciples are sitting, sitting back saying, uh-uh, not me, no way. You see what I'm saying? What, what is it? What causes, what, how, how does a, a, an unassuming uh, Indian teacher take on the whole British Empire, right? Or a Southern Baptist preacher stare white supremacy in the face and say, I will not hate you. I will return your hate with love. Now, the easy answer would be to say, God, right? That's the Sunday school answer. But that's assuming that everyone else didn't have God. Some of these folks were believers, too. Some of these folks, the, the rest of the disciples, they were following Jesus, but they didn't get out of the boat. What we started to realize is that some people are, were able to develop this extra capacity. They're able to position themselves in a different posture. They were able to tap into something that was deep within them. Martin Luther King, Gandhi called it soul force. It was this inner commitment to truth and love. Now the thing was, Martin Luther King borrowed it from Gandhi. But you know where Gandhi got it from? Jesus. Gandhi studied the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he said, this isn't just a spiritual teaching. This is actually a teaching that we can live out, and this could change the world. There was a, a missionary to India that visited uh, Gandhi and said, okay, what can we do as, as Christian missionaries coming into India? What can we do to make an impact? You know what Gandhi said? Live more like Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then make love your driving force because love is central to Christianity. What? <laughs> Missionary just got schooled. Right? <laughs> but somehow we we forgot. We lost what was central. We focused on all these other side things and we we stopped following Jesus. We stopped living in love. That's our birthright as Christians. We have this inheritance. We have the kingdom of God within us. And when we tap into the kingdom of God within us, the kingdom of God within us, it not only transforms ourselves, it transforms the world. 
Jesus was looking at these, this ragtag group of followers. They were, you know, discounted by most of society. They were of low status. Uh, they were, they were kind of, uh, you know, the, the underdogs. And Jesus looked at them and said, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, I see something in you that you don't even see yourself yet. You are the light of the world. Jesus didn't say, be churchier. <laughs> right? Jesus didn't even say, you know, just be more brighter, be a light, be, be a light. He said, no, you are the light of the world. In your beauty, in your brokenness, you are the light of the world. Because Jesus knew that they had this kingdom of God within them. If they could only realize what they had inside them. So often we look outside of ourselves for God, for strength, for hope, That's for good. the answer. Right? We look to other people, right? Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. You don't have to look around. Right here. It's right here. So what I'm going to talk about today <laughs> is soul force. How we can develop this capacity for courage, for community, and for change. And the great thing is we already have it. So I'm not going to tell you here the how-tos. I'm here to tell you you have it. So now what are you going to do with it? You gotta tap into it, you gotta use it. This is the fun part of Christianity, where we actually get to live it. <laughs> so often what keeps us from it, uh, I think, is, is this fear of being authentic. This fear of being living into what we know is true. This, uh, this fear of being ourselves. You know, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and that, that is just, you need to be true to who you were created to be. Don't hide yourself. You be who you have been created and put on this earth to be. Right? But we fear being hunted. So there's this, this I think, uh, wrestling that we have between the, the ideal versus the actual. So I'm going to share a little bit about it. So we all have these ideals, right, of who we want to be. Who we may project ourselves to be. Right? Who we think other people want us to be or that we should be because they tell us that's what we should be, right? Yeah. There's all these ideals. But then there's the actual of who we really are. And so often we try to live just in this ideal without being honest and truthful about our actions. So let me give some examples. So we could do this personally, we could do this as a church, we could do this as an organization, we could do this as a nation. Where we say, here's our ideals, but our actions are really down here. So as, as a, I'm an executive director of a nonprofit, so when someone asks me, what, what do you guys do? I have an answer. Ideally, here's what we do. <laughs> right? And for the donors and for my board, I, I give them the ideal. But my friends, when we're just after the end of the day, and we're just having beers, here's the action. Here's what's really going on. 
right? And don't we do that social media, right? Social media, you'll see all of our ideal selves. But you don't see the actual life. Actually, I'm really struggling right now. My grandfather just passed away and dealing with grief. Nope, you know, you don't see that. And then as a nation, we, we have these ideals where we say we are a nation of liberty. But we're also a nation that enslaved. We say we're a nation of justice for all, but we have the most people incarcerated than any other nation on the planet. There's a gap. There's often a gap between our ideal self and our actual self. Our ideal uh, church and our actual church. Our ideal organization and our actual Our ideal nation and our actual nation. And what the prophets do, the prophets come and point out the gaps. Are you aware there's a gap? <laughs> Mind the gap. And that really is the, our work of discipleship, is mining mind the gaps. But it takes an authenticity and a, and, a, and a truth, and a commitment to truth to say, you know what? This is where I want to be, but this is where I actually am. We do this with our organization, too, when, when we're talking about diversity. We have ideals to be a diverse organization. And our actual is here, we're working on it. Right? And until we get honest about where we actually are, we can't really bring about any transformation. We can't, we can't see progress until we, we start with the where we are. And so there's an honesty that, that we have to start there. If we look around our, the church in general, there's a lot of division within the church right now. If we look in our world, the actual of our world, we're the United States of America, but what is the actual? We're so divided. We're deeply divided. In the church, we're divided. There's, do you know there's 38,000 Christian denominations? And most of those think that they are the one right way, <laughs> and that the others are the wrong, and some of them even think they're going, and the rest of them are going to hell, right? 38,000 different denominations. We can't all be right. <laughs> Part of our organization, what we do is we call Christians from across the theological, political spectrum, and we say, come together to live and love and to, to live out what God has called us to do. It's a beautiful ideal. It's sometimes messy. But what we're, we're, we're calling people to, to stay at the table to listen and learn from one another, to build bridges across the dividing lines. And one thing we tell them is that, you know, Jesus never said agree with one another. Jesus said love one another. <laughs> Our call is to embody love for God, for neighbor, and even for our enemies. Especially for our enemies. That's what Mandela did. That's what Gandhi did. That's what Martin Luther King did. That's what Jesus did. I did my doctoral work on the church's response to mass incarceration. And I, I didn't do it because it's a hot issue right now, um, or because that's just what I don't know. When I wanted to study this issue, I did it because that was the issue that was impacting my community, my neighborhood, and the youth that I loved and worked with. I saw the way that, that the justice system um, and mass incarceration was having a, a negative effect on families. 
You can't separate so many breadwinners and expect the family to, to do well in the pride. And I'm, I'm from Chicago, and it's, I'm sure it's different here in Houston, but in, in Chicago, youth in our neighborhood are disproportionately detained and arrested. And it's actually, they did studies, and black youth are 46 times more likely to be detained and arrested than white youth in Chicago. It's the greatest disparity in the whole country. So I realized I couldn't say I love my neighbor if I didn't also care about the systems that were causing them harm. And so I said, you know, I want to I learn about this. And, and what, is, what, is, what is my faith, what is love calling me to do as a, as a result? And I started going into the prisons. And I, I remember uh, going with a friend of mine who was a chaplain who went to a maximum security prison. And on the way there, he said something really profound. And um, he said, just an observation, he, was just, he said, you know, as we were talking about the church and, and who comes to the prison, who doesn't, they say, you know, what's really interesting is that, you know, conservative Christians, they come into the prisons. And they, they do evangelism and, and they do Bible studies and they have church, they have worship services. But they won't advocate for, for changing policies that could actually help folks in prison. He said, you know what, liberals, they, they, they advocate for, for policies, but they don't come into the prison. <laughs> and it was, it was this this realization that, wow, we each have kind of a blind spot, don't we? For the conservatives, we have this kind of systemic blind spot. But then for the liberals, we have this kind of solidarity blind spot. We want to advocate for people, but we don't want to actually be in a relationship with them. <laughs> don't expect me to actually live in the neighborhood, but I'll show up to the march. Right? And I'm like, that's, I'm like, that's what I want to do my doctoral research on. That, that divide. And how do we address this? Because you know what? What we've done is we've taken the gospel and we cut it in half. And we have half the church has one half and half the church has the other. And then we're like, we have the better half. We have the better half. But we each have a half gospel. What Soul Force does is says, you can't divide up between the, the internal and the external. You know, it's just as important to remove the internal barriers of fear and hatred and greed and shame and hurt as it is the external barriers of poverty and, and, and marginalization and injustice. And actually, they're interconnected. And they're actually one and the same work. Because if I fear my neighbor, that's when I start to create a barrier between me. And that internal fear creates a physical barrier. So you can't, you can't address one without the other. I'm realizing that Jesus never separated love for God from love for people. Jesus said they're interconnected. Jesus didn't separate the internal from the external. Remember when he, when he the, they lowered the, the paraplegic in? And he was like, your sins are forgiven. He goes into the internal first. And then he says, but just so everybody knows here, get up and walk too. <laughs> just want you to know, I do it all. <laughs> it's holistic change and transformation. And we live in God, we live in the gospel, we live in the, the, the movement of, of love and justice when we just cling to one side 
But you know, in, in this separation between kind of individual and personal change and systemic change, there's something that's missing. And when we stay divided, we miss out on really, I think, what the gospel is inviting us to. And it's this middle ground. You know what this middle ground is? It's, it's community. It's, it's what King called beloved community. Because if we're just dealing with individuals and, and personal change, then we never get to experience the community. But if we're, if we're just looking at the systemic changing laws and changing, um, you know, changing the systems, we don't enter into community either. So by being divided, we've missed out on actually what the good stuff is of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. It's a community that we get to be part of and join in. This is, this is the, the middle ground. This is where we can uh, build this bridge. And what really, what I'm learning is that we need personal change, we need community change, and we need systemic change. And the gospel encompasses it all. That's where movement happens. I took one of our volunteers into the prison with me. Actually, a group, a group of young people. And one of them was uh, Emily. And Emily was from Texas. She's Southern Baptist. Bless her heart. <laughs> and and she, was coming from, she was coming from a community, you know, that um, had very clear ideas about who was in prison. They're bad people. They deserve to be there. And so I said, we're going to go into the prison. So she, she thought, okay, well, maybe I can bring hope into the, the prison as a good Christian. So we went in, and I took her to, we had to go right up to the cells. I took her to Eddie's cell. Eddie witnessed to her for hours. She didn't even get a word in. He was telling her, he was opening his Bible, he was telling her about what he's learning. He's, he was being authentic about, here's where I actually am, and here's what God's been convicted me about, working on this. And then at the end of, of our time together, we put our hands through the bars, and we prayed together, and Emily was just, tears were just coming down her face. And uh, it was really hot in there, too, and, and uh, Eddie turned his fans out to her, to us. Afterwards, we went outside, and I asked Emily, what was going on in there? She's like, I've always believed that, that people in there were just so different from me that they were, you know, they deserved to be here. But I realized in that moment, my brothers are in there. Eddie's my brother. And something, something changes when we realize that we are brothers and sisters. And that we're not, we're not the labels that society puts on us. We have this invitation to beloved community, to see God in one another, to be the light of the world. Let's not settle for anything less. Amen. 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 Amen.